So tonight we're going to do things just a little bit differently. Um, for those of you who've been with us before, we usually do three or four songs up front. So this is probably a little weird. That's like, whoa, there's only two songs and all the kids are already gone. So sorry for them. They got to miss out. But um, Brian read a passage tonight to begin uh, in the book of Colossians, starting in uh, chapter one, verse 15. And so we've been tracking through Colossians if you've been coming with us. If not, we welcome you tonight. We're grateful that you chose to come uh, and worship with us. Uh, it's a privilege. It's an honor for us to worship with you. Uh, but the privilege and the honor tonight is that we get to be in one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And so Jack has given me a couple minutes just to share and to kind of kick us off. And so you're kind of get going to get sermon a up front and you're going to get sermon b after we sing a couple more songs in a little bit here um, but really we've been praying for this night we've been praying that this would be an, a marker in the ground for all of you who are here that maybe you'd build an altar for yourself just in your heart and that maybe six months from now eight months from now a year from now you're going to look back to this weekend and you're going to be so glad that you were here uh, because you got to meet with jesus that's really our heart every single week is that everything that we do would reflect him and his glory. Uh, and so just hopefully you know that um, and uh, hopefully you know how much we just love you and love that you're here with us tonight. So if you have your Bibles with you uh, or if you have your YouVersion app on your phone, the Bible app, go ahead and pull that out. Um, we're going to go into Colossians 1, like I said, it's in verse 15 through 20. And let's just read that again. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, so it's a little different from what you'll see on the screen here. Uh, but it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. And so if you know anything about the context of the book of Colossians and the reason Paul wrote this book, he's writing to a church in the city of Colossae. And so Colossae was part of uh, three sister cities that were all kind of in the same area. And in this time frame, uh, these three churches kind of, uh, there's a, a disciple, a, a, an apostle came through and he started these churches and they started tracking with the word of God and they started tracking with Jesus and they became followers of what was called the way back then. But basically they were Christians. And another group of people came along called the Gnostics. And so they started to spread this theology on top of the Christian faith that, cool, you believe in Jesus, that's great, but that's not all. There's a little bit more that you need to follow. And so this group of the Gnostics, they, they would basically deny themselves a lot of things because they, they had these beliefs, right, that um, they had this belief that anything that was spiritual was good. And so angels, things like that, that are spiritual, that's okay. But anything that was fleshly, that was matter and physical, was bad. And so this doctrine basically would teach that you had to deny the flesh and you had to deny all the pleasures of the flesh. And the more that you would do these things, the more you would get these spiritual revelations that would give you uh, different levels of knowledge to where you could basically um, achieve salvation. And so Paul's writing this letter uh, with a desire to correct uh, this theology. And so when we get to this portion of scripture, Paul's basically taking a hymn 
and he's, he's fixing the theology in that moment to say, no, Jesus is enough. That's all you need. And so when we look at that, usually we think of a hymn and we think of songs, like things that we just sang, right? Um, but if you look at Baptist hymnals, I grew up in a Baptist church. Anybody else out there remember the Baptist hymnals? Yeah, there's one in the front. I know Jack and Brian, you've got some old Baptist boys here in this church. Um, but we still get down with the spirit. That's right. That's right, Josie. It's good. So in uh, those Baptist hymnals, they'd also have passages that you would read together. Uh, and you just read them out loud. And so the reason we do that is to help promote good theology and things that we can remember. And so Paul's writing this with that intent to say, no, Christ is enough. That's all you need. And so if you look at that, verses 15 through 17, just to kind of give us some structure and some form here, uh, he's writing to say that Jesus is the Lord of the cosmos. So we talk about this spiritual realm, right? The Gnostics would already believe that anything spiritual is good. So for them, this di divine side of Jesus, they were a little skeptical about that because how could anything divine be in man? And so that's why Paul writes that, that he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And so we look at that firstborn of creation. It's like, well, was he created? What's the deal with that? When he says the firstborn of creation, it's really, it's, it's, a, te it's a temporal place. It's a, a place of supremacy. In the Old Testament, in, in the Hebrew, you would talk about the firstborn. A lot of times that firstborn wasn't necessarily the one who, who was born first, but it's the one who had the most love from the Father. And so when we talk about the firstborn of all creation, he's saying that Christ existed outside of that creation. And it, we, the reason we know that is because he follows that up by saying that all things were created through him, by him, for him. And so we look at Jesus and we can see that he's the king of, of the cosmos. He's the king of all the universe, of all spiritual realm, of all things there. And then when we get to that second part, Verses 18 through 20, he wants to establish the fact that Christ is also king of, of our salvation. And so there's a big word for that, the soteriology, right? If you study soteriology, I say, right, like most of you know that. I know that I learned that because I Googled it this week, right? Uh, so soteriology, that's basically it's the study of salvation doctrines. And so we live in a day and an age where there's a lot of theology that's pushed toward us. And I say theology because... It's what we should believe about God. And in this society, ultimately, it's us that gets pushed as God very often. Because we want to pick and choose our own kind of faith and the things that are comfortable for us. And so that's what Jack talked about when he began this series was that this group of people um, dealt with a, a syncretism is what it was called, where they could pick and choose. And there's, there's a couple problems with that. The first problem is this. If you've created your own religion, you've basically created your own God. So, so ultimately, you're kind of the God in that. And so it's easy to read scripture and read through that and think, well, this is really easy to do. I love the part that God loves me and that he sent his son for me and he died on a cross and rose from the dead. So that's cool. I'll believe in that. But the part that maybe it talks about loving the orphan or loving the widow or going and serving those who have less, that gets a little difficult for us. Or then we get into some other parts that uh, it says uh, to be holy as he is holy. And so it talks about abstaining from certain things uh, before maybe we're able to partake in that. And uh, it's, it's easy for us to get frustrated by that. And so we kind of pick and choose. Well, I don't want to follow that because we've evolved as a society, right? But the reality is a religion that you've created on your own, on your own one, it can't comfort you when you're hurting. Because if you're the God of that religion, if you get to pick and choose when you're hurting, in those moments that you need truth, 
your own truth has fallen short of what it can do for you in that place, right? When we believe in something that's greater than ourselves, that God can comfort us. And so when we believe in the word of God and we believe in Jesus and take his word to heart and live that out, he gets to comfort us in those moments. But two, if you create your religion, you can't contradict yourself in those moments as well, that you're hurting, right? Everything's good usually when it's, you know, sunny skies and and whatnot. But ultimately, the rainy days are coming and what's going to happen You need Jesus. You need a God that's outside of your own uh, thoughts and what you think is right. And so that's, that's why Paul's writing this. That's what he's establishing here, saying that Jesus is the Lord of the cosmos. He's the Lord of creation. And if you notice there, he talks about in verses uh, 19 and 20, uh, the fact that, that this reconciliation was brought about. And so when we just kind of at first glance, you can miss that easily, that, that something in us is broken and that we have fallen short. And that's why reconciliation was necessary. Jesus brings that about. It says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. And so as we gather to worship tonight, when we sing these songs, we get to sing these songs because we've been brought back into a place with the Father uh, where, where we can have that community with him once again. And it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of everything that he did. So... Um, it's hard to not want to dive in and just exegete every single little passage and look at these words, but Jack's going to do that in a few minutes. And so what we really just wanted to focus on is the fact that this is a hymn, this is a, an ancient hymn in scripture um, that we get to read together and that we get to worship together over. And so just as, as those verses say that Christ came and made reconciliation, we just want to take a moment to do communion a little earlier tonight. Uh, And so we have our tables up in the front. We have the tables uh, towards the back. Uh, But that's what it's all about. That the fullness of God dwelt bodily in Jesus Christ, in this man, who is fully man yet fully divine. That didn't make sense for the Gnostics back then. That makes sense to us today because we've had all of history to see how he's worked and how he's moved through movement after movement, generation after generation, And we have this word that has lasted thousands of years and has been preserved for us. And so as we take communion tonight, that's what we want to remember. We want to remember that Jesus died for us, that he made that reconciliation possible. And so let me just pray to to bless that. Um, As you partake of that and go back to your seat, the band's going to come back up. We're going to sing a few more songs. Um, But our hope is this, is that you would meet Jesus tonight full in the face and that this passage of scripture would, would fuel us to see that he is better, that he is just far greater than anything that we could ever imagine. And so, Jesus, we lift you up tonight. It's your glory that we live for. It's your kingdom for which we work. We thank you that you've uh, allowed us uh, to preserve this book and these words so that we can uh, continue to read them today, be affected by them today, be given hope and strength and peace by them today to know that all of this that was created was created for you, for your glory for your enjoyment, and for your purposes. And because of that, Jesus, we can trust ourselves to you to know uh, that you have us in your hands. And as we do so, Lord, that you will be faithful to lead us and to guide us uh, in such a way that, that our life can be maximized for your purposes and for your pleasure. And so as we remember you and your sacrifices, we uh, drink the juice and eat of the cracker, Lord, that we would uh, remember that it represents your body that was broken for us, your blood that was spilled for us. 
Lord, bless these elements as we partake of them. Lord, they fuel us tonight to see you in a fresh way, to experience you in a fresh and a powerful way. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Jesus, tonight, it is all about you. It's always, always about you. But we want our focus and our heart to be on you, so would you move us, continue to stir our hearts. We ask that in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. We'll take a few minutes here. We're gonna close with a song tonight, but this passage, as Lyle was unpacking, is, is a hymn of the early church. It's also this incredible picture that the Apostle Paul is trying to paint for a people that are, are being deluded and kind of taken aside by some different tactics and different theologies and thoughts and philosophies that are kind of creeping in, much like our culture in our day. Uh, things deluding truths uh, about who Jesus really is. And so in one way, this is Paul painting and writing a beautiful hymn for the early church. In another way, it's him painting a picture of the, the beautiful and the majestic nature of who Jesus is, the greatness of Jesus. This is, in one way, Paul's best stab at saying, Jesus is a superhero, bigger than any superhero you'll ever know. I, I don't know if you, when you were a kid, if you ever tried to be a superhero. I tried to fly once. It didn't go very well. I grabbed my mom's like tablecloth, the red one, because that's what Superman wore. And so like I'd tie it around my neck and I would run around the house. And at one point they found me on the second story floor out my window and I was convinced it would work. My dad had other thoughts and so he coaxed me in and you know, mostly by force. Um, and to bring me in and say, no, 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 that's not how this works. But in, in one way, Paul is kind of painting this picture of Jesus. Now, here's what Paul knows and what you need to know. How you see Jesus will determine what you do with him. How you see him will determine what you do about it. And so, in essence, here's what Paul's saying. Uh, there's a lot of pictures out here about Jesus. We, we don't have, like, when Jesus was around, there wasn't, like, cell phones like you have. And so there wasn't these pictures, right? But we've seen pictures of Jesus, right, throughout history. Maybe you've seen statues. I think I have a couple of them here if they came through. Maybe the statue of Jesus is kind of like shepherdly. That's kind of cool. You picture Jesus with long hair. and I don't know if he had long hair. Probably. Um, was he tall? Was he six foot tall? I, I don't know many tall Jewish guys. But, like, maybe. I don't know. Um, but we don't really have a full description of his appearance. In fact, well... The prophet Isaiah says there was nothing about him that would really uh, kind of capture our attention, but there's been pictures portraying Jesus. Maybe this next one uh, we've seen. This is kind of the ancient one, and it talks about the Word, the Lord, and Almighty, and this, this powerful sense of who Jesus is. Maybe there's this next one. Um, I like to call this the soap opera Jesus, kind of the young and restless Jesus, <laughs> kind of the smolder, kind of... Blue, is it Blue Steel, Maverick, what was it? I couldn't, okay, uh, Blue Steel, I think it was. Uh, next one, this is maybe one that you've seen before, it's the red sash Jesus. I don't know why he had a red sash. That's how people maybe described it. Uh, this next one, just for any Green Bay Packers fans, I don't believe that Jesus is a Green Bay Packer fan, but 
I believe Jesus loves queso like every good person should love queso. So uh, next is, this is kind of the one that captures my heart because in essence, this is what Paul's saying in a comedic way. Here's what we know about superheroes. Every superhero you look at has a flaw. Every single one. Go back over the movies that you know. And every single one has this character flaw, this flaw within them that, that holds them back, that kind of, it just kind of nags on them. And here's what Paul is saying to these Gnostic leaders. He's saying, you're, you're trying to put a flaw in Jesus, and it's impossible. But see, Jesus isn't like what you're trying to describe. He is so much more. He's beyond anything you can try to capture. And Paul, as a spiritual father, knew this to be true. How you see Jesus will determine what you ultimately do with him or about him. How you see him. And so he's painting this picture. He's the image of the invisible God. They didn't have a selfie culture like we have where you can see the image of yourself. And so when a first century hearer would have heard the word image, the the first thought that would have come to mind most likely would have been the image that you see in a coin. It would have been this image that you see in a coin. Remember Jesus had this conversation one day where they were trying to quiz him about paying taxes and he says, well, whose image is on the coin? And they said, Caesar. And he said, well, give to Caesar what does Caesar's give to God what is God's? Because an image captured authority. And whoever's image was on the coin, they had ultimate authority. And what Paul is saying is, he's the image of the invisible God. When you think about God, look at Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. He's painting this picture. He's wanting this to be captured. It's this conversation Jesus has with his early followers one day in John 14. You can read it. He says, look, don't let your hearts be troubled because they're sensing that something's changing, something's happening. He says, look, I'm gonna go prepare a place for you. And when I get there, when I prepare that, I'm gonna come back and get you. And, and one of them says, we, we just wanna see the Father. We just wanna know God the Father. And here's, here's what he writes. I love this. Here's what Jesus said. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip says, look, um, would you just show us the father, Jesus? I just wanna see him. And Jesus says to Philip, have I been with you so long and yet you still don't know me? Have I been around you so long? But listen, I'll show you the father. Ta-da. That's what Jesus is saying. People make a claim. Well, Jesus never claimed to be Messiah. (laughs) Then you don't know your Bible. And you don't know my Jesus. Because Jesus claimed often. Now, that may ruffle your feathers. Maybe you're here spiritually searching. Maybe you're kind of going, I don't know about Jesus. He's a good teacher, good humanitarian, good guy, good miracle worker. Well, okay. You can have an opinion about him. In fact, it goes on later on in, in Mark chapter eight. Jesus has this conversations with, with uh, his early disciples and he asked them two simple questions. One of them, he says this, who do people say I am? 
Oh, well, some people say like John the Baptist, some people say Elijah come back, and people are given these opinions, right? And Jesus said, who do, who do people say I am? And then he asked this second question, and friend, if you're sitting here today, I'm telling you right now, this is the most important, significant question you will ever wrestle with in your entire life. When Jesus turned to his followers and said, okay, here's what people say I am. Who do you say I am? And Jesus asked this question that you have to wrestle with. And what he's unpacking and beginning to understand here is, listen, there are a lot of people who have an opinion about Jesus, but somewhere down the line, They've got to wrestle with the question of who do you say he is. You've got to move from opinion to a decision. Now, is he who he says he is? Is he just a good humanitarian guy? Is he just a good teacher? Is he just a good miracle worker? Or is he something more? Something way more? It matters how you see him because how you see him will determine what you do with him. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite uh, theologians, professors at USC for a long time, has these words to say about Jesus. He said, biblical and continuing vision of Jesus was one who made all, created all reality, and it keeps it working. He was before all things. He was in all things. All things are for him. He holds all things together. That's what the picture is Paul is painting. That's the hymn that he is writing. He is the God of the cosmos and he is the God of this world. He's the God of your world if you let him. Dallas keeps on going to this. He says, at the literal mundane level, Jesus knew how to transform the molecular structure of water to make it wine. That knowledge allowed him to take a few pieces of bread and some little fish and feed thousands of people. He knew how to transform the tissues of the human body from sickness to health, from death to life. He knew how to suspend gravity, interrupt weather patterns, and eliminate unfruitful trees without a saw or an ax, just a word. Surely he must be amused at what Nobel Prizes are given out for today. In the ethical domain, he brought about understanding of life that has influenced this world more than any other person who's ever stepped foot on it. All these things show Jesus' practical mastery of every phase of reality, physical, moral, spiritual. He is master because he is maestro, the creator of all things. So you can have an opinion about Jesus, and you can hold that for a while. But somewhere along the way, if you're curious enough and you study enough, you eavesdrop in, you look into the life of Jesus, you've got to move from an opinion about Jesus to a decision of what you're going to do with him. Because what Paul is painting and what he's writing is that he is way more than just a good guy. He is way more than just a good teacher of truth. He is way more than just a nice humanitarian or a guy who could bring some healing He's saying some pretty radical things. So is the preacher in the song, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you have an opinion about him or have you made a decision about him? God was pleased to go on, Paul says, verse 19, to have all, his, all of his fullness dwell in him. 
This idea of fullness, pleroma, is in Greek, is this idea, the sum total of all of his divine power and attributes of God were in Jesus, not additionally added into Jesus, they were Jesus. He is fully God and fully man. The beautiful part of the incarnation of what we celebrate as Christians, as Christ followers, is that Jesus did something you can never do because he is someone who is not like you, but he likes you. He is beyond all things. To dwell is more than just reside, like to reside or to reside in a house or reside in an apartment. To dwell is this idea that, uh, this verb of to be at home permanently. God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him because he is him. This is the beauty, beautiful picture, maybe confusing at times, of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. One God, three expressions, but one in fullness. Jesus is God in a bod, if that helps you remember. That's it. That's what Paul's saying. Jesus isn't a created being. He was before all things. He created everything. He's God in a bond. And he's come that you may have life with him. If you would trust your life to him, if you would move from being an opinion person about Jesus to making a decision about Jesus. And that's where the scripture is going. Jesus is the hero of this story. That's how Paul is battling this falsehood that's being played out. Jesus is the hero of all history and the centerpiece of our faith. With him, we have all we need. Without him, we've got nothing. That's the truth of Christianity. Jesus Christ is savior, Paul lays out. He's creator. He's the head of the church. He's beloved by the Father. He is eternal God. And our lives He deserves preeminence and the most highest priority in our life. A.W. Tozer writes this, either Jesus is Lord of all or he is Lord, not Lord at all. This isn't about Jesus being a subset of your life. This isn't about adding him as an accessory. This is what's my decision about him? And so very plainly, here's the invitation. If you're sitting here tonight and you've been a person who's had an opinion about Jesus, that's awesome. Are you ready to make a decision? Because somewhere along the line, it's gonna force you to. Because Jesus isn't just a cuddly teddy bear that's nice when you need comfort. If he truly is the creator of all things, and holds all things together, then he deserves your all, period. Not alternate fact, the truth. And so the challenge and the invitation for you tonight is maybe there's some things that you've been holding on to more than Jesus. In fact, let's be honest, maybe there's some things that have been holding on to you more than you've been letting go of Jesus. Maybe it's something new that's gotten interjected, introduced into your life. You didn't want it, uh, you didn't seek it out. Maybe it's something, a choice that someone else made or something that you're having to face. And you can let your mind be all wrapped up around that. Or you can trust that to walk with God and say, God, I need you 
to be preeminent in my life. This thing is a secondary thing. It's not the prominent thing in my life. You're the prominent thing. This is secondary. Maybe you've been here, you've been around church for a while, and Jesus is nice. But have you ever come to a place where you've said, I need him, not just I want him. That I need him, I, I need him to be the savior of not just the world, but the savior of my world, the savior of my life. That I can't keep going the way I'm going. And if you want a fresh start tonight and you've never asked him to be the Lord of your life and the leader of your life, then tonight is your night. It's the night to make a decision and to go from opinion to choosing him. And maybe you don't have all your questions answered. That's okay, I still got lots of questions. Jesus, I think, likes questions. He's not thrown off by them. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and he's kind of, inked out to the peripheral of life and other things and other concerns have kind of snuck in, taken a, a higher priority. And maybe tonight is the night where you say, you know what, as Lyle talked about, this is the stake in the ground tonight. And I want to look back six months, 12 months from now and said, Jesus, the best I knew how in the moment I'm in, I'm trying to make you the highest priority of my life. I can have other concerns, I can have other pursuits, but I want you to be priority number one. You have preeminence in my life, and you surrender your heart to that again in a fresh way. And so, as the band's gonna come back up in a second, we're gonna close in a song. I'm gonna close in a prayer here. We're gonna sing this song in Christ alone. It's one of my favorite songs. Um, and it speaks about the preeminence and the authority and the power of who Jesus is. And so I hope it puts a kind of a bounce in your step as you leave here tonight. But here's the invitation real simply. If you're here and you've had an opinion about Jesus but never made a decision that I want to surrender my life to him, here's what Romans 10.9 says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved, period. This is about a surrender of the heart to say, I can't do it on my own. I can't work and have enough good works to have a right relationship with God. I can't be good enough because you can't. But God in his goodness made a way that he sent his son himself to live a perfect and holy life, to die at a cross, to take a sin that you deserved, that I deserved, to take a punishment for that, that we might be made right with the holy God through faith and trust in him the same way you're trusting that chair right now to hold you up. No one sat down and said, oh, this works. You just put your trust in it. That's what it means to trust Jesus. You really are who you say you are. I'm making a decision tonight, and I'm putting my faith in you. And so if that's you tonight, I'm telling you, tonight is your night. I'd love to celebrate with you. In fact, what I'm gonna do in a second, pray, we're gonna sing this song. I'm gonna stand over here at this table. I've got a Bible I'd love to give you, and I wanna pray with you and celebrate with you that you are choosing to say yes to Jesus. So this might be your night. You come down here and meet me. If you're here and you're like, I've got other things that have been preoccupying me, that have been a higher priority, then tonight is your night to decide. Jesus, you really are the king of the universe. You're the king of this world, and tonight I'm reinserting you to be the king of my life, the leader of my life, not just an accessory to my life. 
And if that's you, then I'm gonna challenge you to do something. Not just sit there and do it, but to literally get out and come down front and sing this last song down front. Does this make you spiritual or holy? No, it just makes you a person making a decision. It makes you a person who says, you know, I, I wanna make that decision. And so you do that. You can make a decision in your chair. No one's gonna look at you. You're not more spiritual than if you come down here, but I think this is the night where you have to move and do something, okay? So here's the invitation. You meet me down front if you wanna say yes to Jesus for the first time. If you wanna say yes to Jesus again, you just step out of your seat and be here and sing this song from your very heart and let it be something that promotes Jesus back to priority numero uno in your life because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and deserves every ounce of our best. So Father, we pray. This hymn, this picture that you gave to Paul to paint for us, it's so hard to even do it justice of how great, Jesus, your greatness is beyond even our ability to describe or to capture in mere words. And it is in you and you alone that we find our hope and that we find our grace, that we find our forgiveness. It is in nothing else. It is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so we surrender our hearts again. Would you stir us in this last song to take the step that we need to take and to meet with you tonight? We give you these next few moments. Would you move us and stir our hearts? We ask that in Jesus' name.